Hi everyone, welcome to episode 19 of an Inside View podcast with On The Ball Team Building. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, we'd really appreciate if you go back to episode 1 have a listen. Please do rate, review, tell your family, friends, whoever you may know about the podcast. We'd really appreciate it. That one recommendation would go a huge way. Any interaction that you may have but with the podcast on social media, be sure to tag the guest and to tag On The Ball Team Building too. We'd like to take this opportunity to give the, the guys up there at GRG Sports and Mayo, our sponsors, a big shout out. Thanks very much, lads. You've been great support over the last couple of months. On this week's podcast, we have 2019 champion jockey, Oshin Murphy. Murphy is a nephew of three-time Cheltenham Gold Cup winner, Jimmy Collisey, and grew up in Killarney, County Kerry. He spent his summer evenings as a young guy under the stewardship of Tommy Stack and Aidan O'Brien. Oshin left the shores of Ireland in October 2012 and delved into the unknown to pursue a career in flat racing in Andrew Balding's stables in the UK. Having never done this type of racing before, within two years he was crowned champion apprentice. Every season since then he's improved significantly. Murphy has developed and merged into one of the best jockeys in the business. 2019 saw the Clarion native been crowned champion jockey. He's breaking records all around the world and the Kerry man deserves huge recognition for what he is achieving. He's still very young and he's a massive career ahead of him. I'm really excited to bring him on. Hi Oshin, welcome to the Inside View podcast. How are you? I'm very well, very well. I'm sat outside, the sun's shining, so we're very lucky. Good, good, good. What was it like during lockdown over there, we say, back in, you know, in March and April, um, and especially when everything was put on hold for you? I think it was tough for everyone. Obviously, we were getting excited about the new turf season, all the young horses stepping out, etc. And we couldn't race them, but I really felt for large families stuck in houses and apartments, uh, particularly in large towns and cities, because it must have been terrible for them. And how, like, yourself, you know, I suppose day in, day out, you're always busy, you know, you're either, you're in the car going somewhere or you're, you know, you're with horses. Um, like, how do you pass the time during those couple of weeks? I was still able to ride out. Uh, there's, I live in Lambourne, which is like an hour west of London Heathrow, and there are loads of stables around me. So I was still going in and exercising the horses as they needed to. Uh, get out of their stables uh, that kept me busy in the mornings and I did a bit of walking in the evenings surrounded by hundreds of acres of fields and countryside so um, so I, I did loads of that but I still got quite heavy I put on about pounds so I went from 8 stone 10 to about 9 stone 5 uh, I, I had to upgrade a couple of my um, belts and trousers so it wasn't it wasn't much fun <laughs> um I know uh, horse, racing, horse racing was, you know, the first kind of sport really to return, um, both in Ireland and and uh, the UK. With also, and it, obviously, it, it returned with all supporters. Did you find that a big difference? You know, not having the crowds around, um, and like, did you did you see a big difference in the horse as well? Absolutely, uh, the, most horses are actually a lot calmer because obviously you don't have the noise and the atmosphere to deal with. Uh, it's a little bit strange at the big meetings, the likes of Royal Ascot, Glorious Goodwood, because you expect thousands of people there. But it is what it is. Uh, some owners have been allowed back in both Britain and Ireland now. Uh, 
obviously there's lots of restrictions. We've got temperature checks. We've got to fill out these forms every day on, online. Uh, it, it's really um, strict and stringent rules, but it, it, it's something we must participate in to keep racing on. And uh, I'm very pleased that we were able to get back racing from June until now. It's, it's been, um, we've made a lot of ground up and you know, I've, I've been pleased with the way things have gone. You know, you, you just said there that you, you know, you, you gained a lot of ground over the last, you know, couple of weeks. You know, I suppose because it's late starting. So, like, are you based? Are you basically out nearly every day, or do you have any day off? The only time I have a day off is if I'm suspended. Uh, I've had a few suspensions this year, unfortunately. Uh, most of them, all of them, for careless riding. Basically, the stewards on the day have deemed that I haven't. I've done everything possible to keep my horse straight and avoid interference to another horse, if that makes sense. Now, often I would say, uh, I would argue that and say it was accidental. And although I might feel it's accidental, it's trying to convince them that uh, that it was accidental. And obviously when I'm suspended, I'm not making any money. I'm literally unemployed. So I try to ride within the rules as much as possible. And in relation to, say, suspensions, is that very much like is there um a court proceedings in or a proceedings that you know you get to fight your corner absolutely so on the day uh that you commit an offense you go in front of the stewards uh, who have a room at every track on each race day and you give your evidence and they bring up all the video uh review and then you kind of explain your case and then if you want to appeal that uh, you can do it over zoom or traditionally you would have gone to london to high holborn and had a similar sort of thing but you can have a solicitor with you because the seven days i've just been suspended i missed uh lots of group runs i missed the saint ledger and everything and those races are you know what it's all about being a jockey so uh, it, it was quite costly Just I suppose, kind of aside from that, do you find much of a difference riding male and female horses, or is it all the same, really? No, they all have their own personalities, and actually, you find that you know some horses try really hard, others are more lazy. Uh, they all have different characteristics. It's amazing, really. Today I had five rides of so five different horses, and not one of them was similar to the other one. <laughs> they're, they're they're very strange, yeah. And like. How do you build up a relationship with these horses? Like, like, would you have to go and see them first thing, to bring them for a ride before you ride for an owner? Yeah, the majority of horses I will never have seen before, but I'll obviously watch the replays and look up the form, etc., and work out what I'd like to do in the race. Uh, some horses, particularly the top ones, like Cameco, who I won the guineas on, Roaring Lion, who I won four group ones on in 2018, I will have ridden at home on the gallops and had a good feel of them uh, and, and you know try and build up a relationship with them to the point that I know or I have an idea of how I'd like to ride them and to deal with every different circumstance. But I ride over a thousand horses every calendar year. Well, well over a thousand uh, different horses. So uh, most of it, most of the time, it's just I get on them in the paddock, in the parade ring, and I have five minutes to get a feel of what they're like before the stalls open and we're in a race. Oh, geez, there's a... You, you you just said there that uh, you you know you'd watch clips of them if you don't get the opportunity to actually yeah. actually to get on them. 
you know, would you do a lot of visualization? So naturally enough, you know, visualize yourself in different circumstances on that horse. For sure, for the big races, absolutely. I can think of everything possibly that could go wrong, and then I hope everything will go right. But um, but it's important I have uh, lots of different ideas in my head. So then, if something does go wrong, like if the horse doesn't leave the stalls as quickly as I want him to and I wanted to, let's say, lead or sit in the first three or four, and I'm out the back, well, then how am I going to deal with that? So, yes, I, I have to I have to give it a lot of talk. And um, I suppose just for, for people that might be too, too knowledgeable in, in the area, that there's a lot of tactics that actually go into races. Like, you know, we, you know with some horses, you stay, stay back with you, and then other horses, you try to get, get out in front or... I'll try not to get stuck on the left yeah. by the railings. Yes, yeah. So the, for me, the objective is to win every race I ride in. And if I think there's lots of pace, so lots of horses that normally lead or are stepping up from a mile to a mile and a half, the chances are we'll go fast. So I possibly don't want to be uh, forward in the run, if that makes sense. I might want to take my time a little bit. Uh, if my horse is keen, well, I might want to get behind a few other horses to get him to relax and drop the bit. If he's got daylight, so if I lead or sit second with no cover, then he might do too much and I can't win. Um, it's all about riding your horse to try and win. And, uh, yeah, that, that's my, my main goal. And would you spend much time, you say, watching clips and all that, you know, with, about horses? I suppose any opportunity you would get, you'd be, you'd be watching the next possible horse. You'd be riding. Yeah, it's, it's very important for me to try and find uh, young horses who have just won their first or second start. And then, firstly, I can put that horse forward to Sheikh Fad, who is my retaining owner. He owns about 200 horses, and he would be interested in buying any talented young horses. So I could put the horse forward to him, recommend that he um, researches it and see if, if it interests him. And then, from my own personal point of view, I want to win Group 1 races and they're very hard to win. So any good young horse coming through that I think I might be able to ride in the future, then I need to make uh, myself available for them if I am available uh, in future big races. I suppose we'll, uh, we'll, we'll bring it back to the, to the start, to the early days, and we'll, we'll work way up into to last year. Um, you know, some people might say that you might get a lot of coverage here in Ireland. You know, there's a lot of people that achieve a lot in Ireland and they're getting, you know, they're getting coverage. But like what, what you've achieved, you know, since you went over to the UK is absolutely remarkable. Um, for those that would know you, uh, do you want to give a kind of a brief insight into how you, how you ended up in, in, in England? Yeah, so I went to primary school in Killarney, County Kerry in Two Mile. And there was like six pupils in my class. Uh, I was in the same school as David and Paddy Clifford. And then after I finished school, I went, finished primary school, I went to live in North Cork in uh, Churchtown to live with my uncle Jim because he, Jim Collity, was training National Hunt Horses at the time. And I wanted to start riding out and getting used to them. And uh, during school, I did some pony racing. I rode at Dingle and Ross Bay and uh, all around Kerry, Limerick, Clare and Cork uh, and they're, most of those it's like young jockeys, young wannabe jockeys racing around a field and then 
after I finished school, uh, I had been riding out a little bit for Aidan O'Brien and another Kerry man, Tommy Stack, who trains in Tipperary during my school holidays. Then I went to England in October 2012 to be an apprentice to Andrew Bolden, who had William Buick as his apprentice before me. So it looked like a good place where I might get opportunities. And then I was champion apprentice uh, in 2014. I did a stint in Australia, actually, the back end of 2013 in Melbourne, which was incredible with Danny O'Brien. But it was amazing from the point of view. You've sent this... uh, 18 year old from Ireland to England and it was like a massive change and now I'm landed in Australia um, but I rode some lots of winners down there I think I had about 18 winners in Australia and then I came back and uh, 2014 I started riding more for Qatar Racing uh, won the Apprentice Championship and 2015 uh, things went well with Qatar got going again and 2016 and then 2017 onwards things started to take off I won my first group ones uh, on uh, actually on a horse called Acclaim uh, at Shanti in the Prix de la Forêt. Uh, it's a huge dream of any rider to get that first group on. It's like um, it's like winning a premiership for for a football team or, or a league. Uh, it's the primary objective. They're the best races, and you're riding with the best riders and the best jockeys and best trainers, etc. Uh, so I won two group ones the back end of 2017, one in France, one in Canada. And then 2018, I won the Dubai turf at Maidan on Ben Battle. And things just escalated from there. Uh, Roaring Lion came along. Uh, I, I won four group ones on him. The Irish Champion Stakes at Leopardstown. The QE2 at Ascot. Uh, the Eclipse at Sandown. Uh, the Judmont International at York. Um, he was an unbelievable horse. And then... 2018, uh, sorry, 2019, I had a good few more Group 1 winners. Uh, and then this year, I've had two. Cameco to win my first Classic, which is obviously you know, my, an incredible thing for, and just for Andrew Balding, who I started my career with, and Jake Vard, Qatar Racing, who owned the horse, uh, to win a Classic for them meant the world. And then I won a the Betfred sprint for Sir Michael Stout on Dream of Dreams, which is the second time I've won that race. I won it on the Tin Man as well. Uh, so I've won 17 group ones now. Um, Frankie de Tori's won about 200, but he is 50. So I hope uh, I hope I can keep I hope I can keep adding to the list. Well, geez, there's a hopefully there'll be another few years left in you, so and you can you can keep that going. Um, just out of curiosity, you know when you you were with Aidan O'Brien at the time. Um, before that, I know you did a bit of show jumping in Ireland. Um, why did you decide to go, you know, flat race and not pursue uh, show jumping? So I'm only five foot. I'm just under five foot six, and uh, I'm I'm small enough to be a flat jockey. And, uh, I I really enjoyed jumping ponies. So much fun, and they're incredible animals. Little things that can jump big fences. And I wrote to the Army Equitation School, and I had probably thought I might go there and go through the ranks because Ireland always has a very good army team and of two or three riders that jump all over the world and represent the country but then I started riding racehorses from my uncle Jim I suppose it was true living with him full time seeing 35 horses outside the back door uh, and I got run off with a couple of times completely out of control and that's a huge adrenaline buzz so yeah, that's probably that's probably why I chose to try and be a jockey. 
just uh, I suppose out, out of curiosity as well, um, you know when you 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 know as a jockey when you spend time in at different stables, um, what's the objective? Is it you know you're you're trying to learn different skills? Is it mm. and different ways of relating to horses? Yeah, and obviously at Aidan O'Brien's at the time there was some top class jockeys riding out every day. So Jamie Heffernan, Colm who Joseph O'Brien himself, Donica. And we had great fun and I got to ride lots of gallops and ride top class horses. Uh, it's an opportunity most 15 or 16 year olds never get. So I was blessed really to get those chances. And then it was just preparing me to eventually try and ride in races. It was gather as much experience as I could and get to you know, a decent level of riding. When you went to um, over to Andrew, Andrew Baldings, um, did you do any flat racing before that? That was your first time doing flat racing. No, the, exactly. Yeah, I got my license in, uh, I got my jockey's license in May uh, 2013. So I had, I'd been in England almost nine months and then, uh, yeah, then you have to try and be uh, as good as the big boys. And I, I saw an interview that uh, you went over, you know, you you went over to, to Andrew's Andrew's uh, stables, but it was, wasn't those your own free will. You found that a bit difficult at the start. Yeah, I was sent to England. Uh, I I had been, I would have been very happy to stay in Ireland, but my uncle Jim and Aidan had a conversation, and they decided that I needed to come here just because there's a lot more opportunities here. We've got 200 horses in, at Andrew Baldwin's stable. And uh, yeah, I probably cried a lot on the phone to my mother for the first couple of weeks. And then um, I got stuck in and, and uh, yeah, I've enjoyed it ever since. And um, in, I suppose, like you mentioned already, uh, in 13, you had your first, uh, you had your first winner and then 14, you won the um, champions apprentice, uh, British flat race champions apprentice. Um, so, did do you kind of feel things started going the right way for you? Um, like I've spoken to some people before, like that you know went away, and they found that first, we say five to six months very difficult. Do you find that over over the UK difficult? I I found the first few months working in the yard and knowing nobody quite hard, but as soon as I got riding, then I'm on the way to trying to achieve my dreams. So. Um, it, it's been fine since. And just, I suppose, to give us a, an insight, like what you know, what is a normal, what would a normal day look like for a jockey? Uh, get up at around half five, uh, maybe gallop one or two horses, and then go back to bed uh, from seven to nine, and then get up and go racing. Uh, I ride every day, as I say, so um, I probably gallop horses five mornings a week. And we start pretty early, but we're not there all morning. Uh, and the trainers I ride for are pretty understanding when it comes to they know that my workload is heavy, so they try not to waste my time in the mornings riding horses that, unless they think they've got a high level of ability. And you, you mentioned there um, uh, Qatar Racing. When did they come on board with you, and how did, you, how did that affiliation happen? Yeah, amazing, really. I rode for Sheikh Vard in my first season, 2013, at Aspidon, Kip Cobra's Champions Day. And I never thought anything of it. And then uh, the Irish Guineas in 2014 clashed with a group race at Haydock. So I got on a horse called Hot Street. Uh, he was one of the fastest horses of that year. He could run 
a thousand meters in uh, about 56 seconds and i got on him and i won a group two the ahead of the temple stakes and then Sheikh Fad started using me more and more and i won him a few more big races and uh, then i joined him as like his second jockey behind andrea Azzini. and then eventually uh, andrea went his separate ways and uh, i've been first jockey since and you know um being affiliated with, with guitar racing so would you be traveling all around the world representing him obviously racing his horse you know riding his horses i have i've been to the breeders cup in america three times uh i've ridden in australia firm i've ridden in canada from germany uh obviously Ireland and, and France and, and England, uh, Qatar, Doha, Dubai, uh, Bahrain. I've been everywhere. Yeah. Uh, Saudi Arabia. Oh, <laughs> and I suppose, you know, when you're going to these countries, like, do you find it a big difference, you know, in relation to the surface of the ground, um, the temperature for yourself and the horse? For How sure, it, it's uh, different. Yeah, it's different everywhere. Uh, so in Saudi and Dubai, they race a lot on dirt, which is like a sand surface. It's like a, if you went close to the dunes on a beach, it's quite a deep, hard surface to hard work for horses to get through. So I will just adapt my own riding style. I'll try and stay out of the kickback, uh, try and get into a good rhythm. And often on those dirt races, they go very fast and the race, they just get slower and slower to whoever keeps going. Whereas on turf, on grass, we tend to go a little bit slower and you quicken up through it. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I don't think about it too much. I just try and get on the plane, sleep, land, do my homework for the particular race and then um, then ride and, and, and keep kicking. I came across this. You, you've been in, in Japan a few times. Do you want to give us an overview about that? That's pretty, you know, pretty important as well. Only very few jockeys get over there. Yeah, so the top five jockeys uh, in the world kind of can qualify every year. And the last two years, I've been the top five. Uh, and I won the Japan Cup on Suave Richard last year. I'm the youngest jockey ever to do it. I had eight winners in one day. Uh, I had seven winners in another day. So I, I was lucky that I broke all the records. Um, they only race in Japan on Saturdays and Sundays. It's betting turnover is about a thousand times the betting turnover of Ireland and England. Um, they are racing fanatics. They produce eight racing papers daily. It's crazy. It's on another level there. Uh, they can only punt on three sports in, in, in Japan, um, boat racing, indoor cycling, and horse racing. So, and, and the a Asian people, particularly Hong Kong and Japanese and Chinese, they love to have a little bet. So that obviously interests them. And also the, the love of the horse. They do a fantastic job of portraying horse racing in a really positive way uh, it's great and I've, I've been two twice now uh, I've done two months and three months and I've probably ridden about 80 win maybe a bit more probably close to 100 winners in Japan so uh, yeah I have actually well over 100 so hopefully hopefully I can keep going there every year keep qualifying uh, I'm based in Tokyo and I travel around a lot on the train, uh, on the bullet train, it's amazing how quick it actually goes. You pass Mount Fiji, you know, a couple of times every every trip. So uh, I go from Kyoto to, to Tokyo on that, and it's cool to see it.
And would you be over there on your own, or would would you have a few a few lads with you? You know, on when you move from A to B. No, so I'm completely on my own. Bar if I get a friend, or my sisters came last year, which was uh, surreal for them. I never thought I'd see them outside of Europe, not to mind in Japan. Uh, but it was great to have them, and uh, and yeah, uh, I I hope to keep going. So my dad came to Japan as well, actually, which was amazing. A man from Milton who's been on a plane less than twenty times in his life, made it all the way to Tokyo. He had a great time. Um, I don't think they ever saw. Uh, 18 stone six foot man in in, uh, in Japan before, but um, but yeah, it, it was good fun. Brilliant, brilliant. And do you? I suppose you know when you're going to these these countries, like you did mention, you're in Japan two months, three months. But other countries, you know, you might be there just for two or three weeks. Is it? How do you find? Would you be there that long, or would it be always a month stint in places? No. So in Dubai. In du- so Dubai race on Thursday nights, uh, January, February and March. So I will fly from Heathrow Wednesday night, land in Dubai Thursday morning, sleep all afternoon, ride in the evening and get the 2 a.m. flight, 2.10 or one, there's a 1.50 and a 2.10 flight uh, from Dubai back to Heathrow uh, for the Friday morning. So, and I land back at like, I don't know, half nine uh, in the morning so I can go racing again on Friday. So I only miss one day's racing. Uh, by going to Dubai in, in England. So it's very important when I'm trying to break records and numbers. You know, I think I had 221 winners in, in a nine-month period in, in Britain uh, and probably another 60 overall in the world. So my, my, my ambition over the last few years is just to break, obviously get on as many good horses and win big races around the world, but I want to break a lot of the numbers. You know? Whoa, gee. And how, like, how do you find... You know, when you're doing that, how do you find the sleep in arrangement? Well, I say one say arrangement, but how do you find your sleep? Would yeah. you be absolutely wrecked? Yeah, adrenaline keeps me going. Uh, I normally have a week off. Uh, actually, when do I have a week off? I suppose no, I don't really. Um, I might have a few days off, and I can't get out of bed for a few days if that makes sense. So I leave the house. But if as long as I have something to look forward to, uh, racing wise, then I don't need much sleep. Um. You know, if I get four, five, six hours, then I've done one. And out of curiosity, do you know when you you're going to these countries? You know, like like I said, there you might just spend a couple of hours or a couple of days there. How do you find the food? You know, I suppose you'd be very careful what you eat as well, just in case you did get sick from it. Yeah, I've, I've, trying to. Yeah, obviously, I have to manage portions. Uh, I, I'm not the lightest jockey in the world, but at the same time, I don't have a major weight problem. I just try not to. Look, I can, I can literally eat anything. I love sushi, so Japan is no problem. Uh, and, and everything else, like, uh, my favourite meal would be roast lamb and mashed potatoes and carrots and cabbage, you know what I mean? But, um, but I can't get that all the time. So I, I just, yeah, I just try not to eat unhealthily and try and keep my portions down. Uh, I, I came across something there um, when I was looking into, you know, your, your regime. Um, you the weight cutting seems to be quite severe in in horse racing overall. Do you want to give us an insight into what it's like, especially in the peak of the season, how difficult it is? So if I wake up eight stone twelve and I've got eight stone nine uh, that day, well then I need to lose lose three pounds. And normally what I'll do is I'll put on loads of clothes, I'll go running, and then I'll get straight in the bath, and I will stay sweating in the bath 
until I have lost those three pounds. But all I'm doing is losing fluid. If I drink uh, three cans of Coke, they're, they're nearly all about a pound in, in actual liquid measure weight. And then I would put all that weight back on. So then I would go the whole day a little bit dehydrated. But then I'll drink loads of sparkling water at the earliest possible time and get the fluids back into me and then I'm away again. Well, it's, uh, I, I came across something that you, you know, used to be soaking ice cubes. What's the, the purpose of that? Just can I keep you rehydrated? Well, it's more a mental thing. If you're sitting in the sauna and you're like very, you're as red as a tomato and your mouth is dry, your lips are stuck together, then sipping on an ice cube, uh, it takes a while to, to actually melt the ice cube and it keeps your mind off, off the fact that you're having to lose weight. Well, it's uh, and Joe, you know, as a as a jockey, do you have to do or once it have to? But is it in in horse racing that you'd have to do a bit of weights and you know weight training, or would it be more kind of core? Some jockeys do weight train, the likes of William Buick and James Doyle. I don't because I don't have time to do much training. Uh, I will do a fair bit on the treadmill and on the bike uh, when I'm in Japan because that's where I have to be at my lightest. I have to be at like fifty three point two kilo, so. Uh, very light about 117 and a bit pounds uh, like today I'm about 123 pounds so uh, that's when I have to really cut back and it's hard work but I ride the best horses in Japan so I can't complain and you know when you go to Japan like are the weights different over there than they are in, in UK and they are in Germany for example yeah the weights are lighter in Japan top weight in Japan is 57 kilo and top weight in generally top weight in Europe, Ireland and everywhere else is about 62 kilo. So it's a huge difference. Um, yeah. And, and obviously when we talk about top weight, that's the weight the jockey has to carry as such on the, on the back of the horse, you know. And yeah, obviously you're, you're weighed before you can... Every race. Off, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I weigh with my saddle for every race. And when I come back in, I have to weigh again to make sure that I'm the correct weight. Well, it's it's uh, it's uh, very very tight, isn't it? There's a lot in it. Um, I, I look to go back into you know 2018 was definitely the breakthrough year for you, and you mentioned their Roaring line. You had massive success with uh, with that horse. You had four straight Group One wins. Yeah, he was a horse of a lifetime. Uh, you know, he's rated 127 World Champion three year old. He was the best three year old colt in the world. And, at that age to get on a horse that good is just incredible. I was 22, so, and everyone knows of the horse. So it, um, it was, yeah, it was brilliant. Like, it was quite unexpected, actually. He, he was very lazy at home and it took him a while to wake up. But when he woke up, he, he was uh, outstanding. He just had everything. He would relax behind horses. He would be so switched off going to the start. He'd be neighing at other horses because obviously he's a stallion. He's a full male. Uh, but then when the gates opened, he would be in race mode and he would sit wherever you wanted him to. And he just had an incredible kick and burst of speed. He was a very fast horse that could stay a mile and a quarter, 2,000 metres well. In 2018, you, you had over 200 um, winners and nine consisted of, of you know, group one wins. You, you know, definitely things were going in the right direction. You know, from you know when you went over there, how did that feel after 2018? Were you, you know, did it, was the appetite definitely getting more and more for that to become the um, champion jockey? 
Yeah, it's something I always wanted to be. And I finished second or third to Sylvester de Souza, I think, uh, in 2018 and maybe in 2017. I just needed to get it done. So last year to lift that trophy at Ascot, I didn't know how to, you know, portray it in interviews and even now, but it's just a relief for my family and for everyone because it's a massive team effort. I've got agents, managers, driver, foreman, uh, and although I try to be in the best humour I possibly can be every day, obviously I'm, you know, I'm still human at the end of the day. I'm gonna when things are good, they're okay. When things are bad, it the the burden is on me because I need to keep producing the results. Uh, so yeah, this, this year as well is very important. I'm champion jockey, and then after that, who knows? Maybe I'll try and focus on just getting on Group One horses. But um, yeah, the the ambition is certainly there. You you mentioned there it is a group. It is a group effort. Um, how important is that? You know, for you, you you obviously have a big team around you. Um, how important is it to you know that everyone pulls together and to have a positive team culture? Yeah, I, it wouldn't work otherwise. Uh, I can't ride that many horses and and be successful without having good people around me. And there are many of them, and I, I, I you know, I make them aware of the fact that we must all uh, stick together, at, you know, all the time. Uh, I have a physio at the races every day. I have a valet to help me get my gear ready. Yeah, we have I have all good people. Brilliant, brilliant. And um, roughly how many would you have in your immediate team? I know there probably people coming and going for different different things. Yeah, so uh, seven on a daily basis, seven people. And, and would they go abroad with you? Uh, you? Generally, my agent will come to Japan and Hong Kong with me, and my manager will do one of the stints with me, Jimmy and Gavin. So um, just, just depends. Perfect. And look, 2019 was the... You know, you reached the pinnacle that we, we mentioned already. Um, you you got presented with the trophy from Queen Queen Elizabeth. That must have been a bit, uh, bit surreal, fairly cool, was it? Yeah, I've obviously met her a couple of times from riding for her. And uh, also she has horses in training with Andrew Baldwin. and she makes an annual trip to the yard. So I've met her a good few times. Uh, but it's great. Um, it's brilliant for racing that she's so interested I was on the front of a lot of the national papers and um, it's really good coverage. And she has maybe 50 horses in training. Uh, I rode two for her in the last week. I, I didn't win on either of them, but she, she loves the sport. Brilliant, brilliant. And the fact that, you know, you're, you're, you won champion jockey last year, what exactly, you know, for those that mightn't be too aware of it, what, what does that mean? What, like, how do you achieve that? You know that um, yeah, it's that title. It's just who wins more races than anyone else in that in that period. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's a big thing. Like we're all trying to be the leading jockey, if that makes sense. Except Frank Usher, he doesn't really care about numbers of winners. He just focuses on the top races. Um, but everyone else is trying to win as much as they can. So, yeah. It, and as a child, we all know about Kieran Fallon, Frankie de Tory. They were champion jockeys of the past. Uh, Mick Canaan was champion jockey in Ireland numerous times. Pat Smullen, God rest him, was champion jockey nine times. Um, Jamie Spencer's been champion jockey. And actually, a lot of Irish have been champion jockey all over the world. So, um, so yeah, it, it's a huge thing for me personally. And champion jockey, is that just in the UK or is it 
globally? No, it, it's just UK. But then obviously there's world rankings. Uh, so if I'm champion jockey in the UK, then the likelihood is I'm going to be in the top five in the world. Brilliant, brilliant. And um, that's obviously the, the focus and, and goal again this year. Um, but just, I suppose, you know, give us an insight. What's it like, you know, meeting all these jockeys on a, on a, you know, at races? Is there good camaraderie there? Good, you know, good relationship there? Or does it depend with uh, where you are and with the, with the jockey? Yeah, uh, overall, it's brilliant. Uh, I, I think we all have good fun. We all understand that, you know, there's ups and downs. And one day you could be riding group one winners and the next you can't even get a ride in a group one. So uh, I think I really enjoy riding everywhere, really. I love going to France. Uh, I get on very well with the French lads. and We travel a lot together. So um, that's interesting. And obviously, if you get to stay the night in Paris or in Dover, it's beautiful. Uh, but yeah, I, some guys will have run-ins, uh, particularly straight after a race. But you know, at the end of the day, we have to see each other every day. So you've got to make up and uh, just get on with things. And just to, to give us an insight on, like, what what has been the most, or how many horses have you uh, uh, ridden in one day? The most you've ridden in one day um, over the last couple of years? Would it be only two or three, or could it be fourteen, fifteen? 12. Uh, there's 12 races in Japan on a race day and I've, I've ridden in all 12 races. I've actually ridden the 24 races over a weekend and uh, yeah, it's pretty hard going, uh, particularly if I'm walking around seven pounds, half a stone lighter than I would normally. But they're champions and they're, they're really talented beasts. So yeah, it's worth it. And how do you find, you know, sleeping before, uh, we're saying the, in the middle of that, the fact you, you, you've ridden uh, 24 horses over two days. How do you find sleeping the night before a race or, you know, the night after a race? Generally, I can't sleep much. Uh, I can't sleep at all the night before racing of, the, you know, that type because I'm so dehydrated, etc. Uh, but after racing on the Sunday, if we just isolate Japan, on the Sunday, I'll be asleep by 10 p.m. and I won't wake up on Monday and midday. So Monday is completely written off. I won't do anything. Tuesday, basic things. I might uh, go out for lunch with my interpreter and my agent in Japan. Um, but that's it, yeah. Um, 2020, uh, how's it looking for you at the moment? I know you said there you had, you had two winners, but what's the, the outlook like looking like going forward? So last year I won five group ones. This year it's unlikely I'm going to get to that number, but the season has been helped by me. I haven't been able to go to France. I haven't been able to go to Ireland. So it's been pretty tough for me, but hopefully I can just win the Jockeys' Championship and have a good end to the year and find some really good horses. And have you uh, raced in, in Ireland much? I know you said you, you did in, in Leperstone, but was that only once? Or um, I've been, I've probably ridden in Ireland on 10 occasions. Uh, I've only had two winners in Ireland, so geez, I'd love to add to that. Uh, but I, I enjoy coming home. The, you know, the, the race courses, the current episode, and as a rule, Irish people, everyone knows about the sport of horse racing, which can't be said for other countries. So, um, yeah, no, it's, it's brilliant. Ireland really is the home of the horse. And what uh, what sport would you follow apart from horse racing? Do you know, um, or like what sport would you follow just to kind of you know to relax? you know, in the evenings? 
I like boxing and snooker. Uh, I always watch the All Ireland final, both the hurling and the football. But leading up to, it, I can only check results because I never have time to watch matches. I'm a Chelsea fan. Uh, I've been to Stamford Bridge twice. Um, I'm actually friendly enough with Marcus Alonso. We didn't play very well tonight, but that's um, that's the way it goes. How important is the you know the starting position? you know, for a rider, you know, whether in the outside or the inside? Yeah, it just completely depends on what horses you're drawn beside. If you're drawn beside, like, the favourite and a couple of ones with chances, then that's not too bad. If you're drawn beside horses that really you think this race is too tough for them, then you don't want to get stuck behind them. And also, if you're on a straight track, then it's not too bad. But if you're going round a bend, you want probably want to be drawn close to the inside. So obviously you're not covering extra ground round the turn, go the shortest way. Yeah, it's it's crucial actually, a draw is crucial. I suppose you have to be careful too in case, you know, you don't get absolutely just stuck kind in of traffic. stuck in yeah, stuck in stuck in traffic. It like happens it. me. Yeah, it happens. Yeah. And does it does it make a difference with the type of horse with the distance they're they're running? Would some horses just be used to running, you know, a mile, some mile and a half? Yeah, exactly. So most horses have a specialist distance. You have sprinters like like athletes uh, who sprinters and horses run five and six furlongs, so a thousand to twelve hundred meters, and then you get milers, and then you get staying horses, uh, who, like marathon horses who can run two and a half miles. The Ascot Gold Cup, the Irish Saint Ledger is a mile and six at the Curra. Uh, yeah, and they're bred for to to race at those certain distances. It normally doesn't happen by accident. Their parents would have ran at a certain trip, and uh, and they're different types of horses. Sprinters generally are stockier. They're not as long in their back. They ca- carry a lot of condition, and stayers are nearly always a lot skinnier, a lot longer, and generally big raw horses. When you're traveling around the UK, um, and when you know when you're traveling abroad as well, what do you do to kind of you know switch off when you're actually either in the plane or when you're in the car? You know, not at night when you're in the plane or in the car. Yeah, I don't really. Because uh, I'm always planning more rides and more races. Um, I have a good group of friends around. We go out for dinner all the time. There's lots of um, nice pubs here that you can go and eat out in. And um, yeah, it it's there's a good atmosphere here. I live in a racing area uh, obviously when I travel alone I generally just watch a movie on the on the plane and try and fall asleep and do you stay off um, alcohol for the period of when you're racing between no I, I would have a drink no problem at the weekend even though I'm riding the next day but I just have to make sure having failed the breath test in the past that uh, I'm definitely completely alcohol free when it comes to riding the next day is we're we're tested at least once a week. And just in, in relation to that, like if you were, if you had a point tonight before, like what's the what's the parameter? Like are they like would they check? Is it the same level as um, if you're uh, ra- driving a car, or is it lower again? So driving a car in Britain is thirty-four uh, milligrams or per unit of breath or whatever. So let's just say it's thirty-four uh, to ride a horse is twenty. So it's nearly half the, the drink drive limit. Well, it's uh, you you really can't have anything. So not, well, you should be very careful. Depending, you need to give enough time. Absolutely, yeah. When you think I'm not drinking lots of water, trying to make weight, etc., because it always then, you know, I, 
I, it's not like I can get up in the morning and drink two litres of water. I can't. Uh, so it's very hard to flush out your system. And you, you were saying there, are you living close to Andrew um, Balding's place? I live about half an hour, but there's lots of really good trainers um, in my area. I, I'm, I'm led to believe you're close enough to Reading, is it? Is that the, yes. the closest if football club, we say, for, for Irish people? Yeah, Reading and Swindon Town. Uh, I'm like half. I'm exactly halfway between both both of them. Are just over twenty minutes. So yeah, I've, I've actually never been to Reading. My cousins are Reading fans, but yeah. Uh, I was there a couple of years ago. A bit of an experience. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, before we're just in the in a in a few minutes now. But back in in March 2020, actually, a couple of months ago, I came I came across an article that you mentioned that. You'd love to ride at Cheltenham. Um, first of all, is there a big difference between you know flat racing and jump racing? And can that be done? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I'll ever ride in a jumps race at Cheltenham. Uh, it's an amazing festival. Brilliant. The best. It's like the Irish transcend uh, on, on Cheltenham and Gloucestershire. Um, and there's a bumper race there. So it's a national hunt flat race. It's for young jump horses. And they go, they race two miles. And Pat Smullen and Jamie Spencer rode in the race a couple of times. Jamie Spencer actually won the race. So that would be a dream come true. I, I would have to apply for a jumps license. And uh, then if I could go and ride in it and hopefully win, um, then, uh, then it would be brilliant. It just comes at a good time of year. I go every year because uh, there's no big flat races that time. And it's only... Um, run the mill stuff here so and it's it's brilliant i meet people i only see from one end of the year to the next and just to just to wrap it up do you come back to ireland much apart from obviously this year now yeah uh, i try and come back a couple of times a year to see my family and uh and yeah I, I, you know it's flying to cork from heathrow is easy and it's only a narrow then to killarney so uh i, I yeah i'm I, I really love coming home. There's so many beautiful restaurants in Kerry as well, you know, from, from Ken Mayer to, to all around. So I'll have to make more of an effort in 2021, I hope. Well, for a look on that note, I'd, I'd like to thank you for taking time out and, uh, and coming on an Inside View podcast and look best luck with the, the rest of the year. Thanks very much. Well, what can I say? What an amazing interview um, with Oshin. It's great to get an insight into his career. Very, very inspiring, very uplifting. Um, his rise from you know from the the races around Kerry around Ireland to to become one of the best in the in the game is is amazing. Really, to be honest about it, um, like he he left the shores of Ireland in two thousand twelve. Very little experience, little to none experience of doing any flat racing, and then within two years, been crowned you know champion apprentice. <laughs> And you know, a number of years later, you know, f- five years later, being crowned, you know, um, champion jockey. That is, it's, it's incredible, absolutely incredible. Um, it's inspiring for any athlete, regardless of the sport. You know, it's down to hard work, dedication, and you know, unfortunately, there is an element of suffering too involved. There's early mornings, late evenings, huge amount of sacrifices. Um, but look to to achieve what he has achieved and to achieve what people like him, you know, do, does achieve. You know, you need to put in the hard work. You need to be dedicated. You need to suffer. You know, um, and suffer just you know branches out to whether you know 
you're sacrificing some things, you're prioritizing other things. Um, but he's 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 been an incredible ambassador for horse racing, uh, you know, in Ireland, and an incredible ambassador for for Ireland and for Kerry as well. I'm sure a number of people would agree that Oshin's success deserves much more recognition in Ireland. He's an Irish sporting great, you know, at such a young age, a humble, honest and open guy who is at the top of his sport globally with many more years ahead. It is safe to say that he will cement himself as being one of the greatest in the game. would like to take the opportunity to thank Oshin again for the taking time out and coming on Insight View podcast because look, I, I know it's, it's, uh, it's quite busy at the moment for Oshin, you know, the, the kind of middle of the, the season. Um, so look, that's again, Oshin, thanks a million for, for coming on. Um, but look, that's all from us on this week's episode. Uh, please do get in contact with the show if you have any any stories or if you have any questions. Um, it'd be great to hear from you. Don't worry, everything will be kept confidential. Um, don't forget to rate, review, and tell your friends, family, whoever may know about the podcast. It'd be great. And please do follow us too on our social media channels. So you know, just keep up keep up to date. Um, you know, with what with what we're doing on a day to day basis and some projects we are working at. Uh, you'll find us on Instagram, it's at underscore on the ball team building. Over on Facebook, it's on the ball team building. And on Twitter, you'll find us at we are on the ball two. That is the digit two. Have a lovely week and be sure to tune in again next week. We have another exciting guest on. Till then, stay safe and remember, cred unless fan. Talk to you all soon and thank you very much again for listening.